This program is brought to you by SoundsTrue.com. At SoundsTrue.com, you can find hundreds of downloadable audio learning programs, plus books, music, videos, and online courses and events. We also host the annual Wake Up Festival, a five-day experience of transformation, held in August of each year in the beautiful Rocky Mountains. You can also join our free direct access membership program and read transcripts of all of the Insights at the Edge podcasts and search our collection of podcasts with now more than 100 episodes available. At SoundsTrue.com, we think of ourselves as a trusted partner on the spiritual journey, offering diverse, in-depth, and life-changing wisdom. SoundsTrue.com. Many voices, one journey. You're listening to Insights at the Edge. Today, my guest is Jeff Foster. Jeff teaches and shares from his own awakened experience, a way out of seeking fulfillment in the future and into the acceptance of all this here and now. Jeff's teaching style is direct and uncompromising and yet full of humanity, humor, and compassion. He belongs to no tradition or lineage and makes his teaching accessible to all. In 2012, Jeff was voted one of the world's 100 most spiritually influential living people by the Watkins Review. With Sounds True, Jeff has written a new book called The Deepest Acceptance, Radical Awakening in Ordinary Life, and an accompanying audio program where he invites the listener to discover the ocean of who we are, an awareness that has already allowed every wave of emotion and experience to arrive. This is the second part of a podcast on Insights at the Edge that aired several months ago. In this second part on The Deepest Acceptance, Jeff and I spoke about the core challenge of being with discomfort and how this relates to radical awakening. We also talked about the deepest acceptance in terms of addiction and also in terms of physical pain and his perspective that there is no such thing actually as unbearable pain. We also talked about illusions related to spiritual awakening as a permanent state of bliss and what quote-unquote real spirituality might mean in terms of truth-telling and the end of denial. Here's my conversation with Jeff Foster. Jeff, you and I spoke a few months ago about your new book, The Deepest Acceptance, Radical Awakening in Ordinary Life. And in that first conversation, we had a chance to talk some about what you mean by The Deepest Acceptance, and also to hear a little bit about your own story, becoming such a well-recognized spiritual teacher for somebody as young as you are, hosting so many different kinds of gatherings with different kinds of audiences, small audiences, large audiences. And now here in this second half of our conversation, I want to focus some on the subtitle of the book and some of the themes that you explore radical awakening in ordinary life. And let's start with this idea of radical awakening. How would you define that, radical awakening? Well, it's awakening now. 
you know, so many people that I meet, so many people that I've met over the years, and, and this was true in my own story as well years ago, was I was waiting for awakening. You know, I had made awakening um, into some kind of future goal. You know, my, my story about myself that was that I was someone who would one day become awakened. So it's almost like I was holding awakening outside of myself. I was holding it in the future, and I, I, I had made it into a, into a goal. And so really what I do with this book um, is turn the whole thing around, turn the whole thing on its head. And, and I talk about awakening as something that's already here. Um, I mean, my basic message is, is that you know, what we're searching for on, on the deepest level what we're longing for is actually already here. And I know that that's become a little bit of a cliche, I guess, in, in recent years. You know, you are what you seek and you are already whole. But um, there's such a profound truth to that. You know, there's such a profound truth to that. The, what we long for on the deepest level is actually already with us. It, I mean, it's it's closer to us than than breathing. It's 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 already so intimate with us you know it's it's um it's actually contained in our present experience in every thought every sensation every feeling um what we long for is actually presenting itself to us right now and it's so awakening it's not so much about trying to get somewhere or trying to become awakened or trying to reach an awakened state it's more about this turning attention towards what's already here and I, I I talk a lot about what is already here what's already with us the thoughts sensations and feelings that are already here that you know so often we we ignore them you know we we ignore we spend so much of our time actually ignoring the present moment ignoring present experience present sights and sounds and smells um in, in pursuit of some future awakening some future enlightenment or some future you know success future wealth future peace even um and so easily we end up ignoring life actually you know, we end up forgetting who we are which is inseparable from this moment and and so my my invitation is just to always always no matter what's happening to turn towards what's here even when that's the last thing we feel like doing you know even when what's here seems uncomfortable or difficult my invitation is to turn towards what's here to really begin to honor this living thing that we are this this present moment movement of life and so that's that's what I call awakening. It's awakening to life, to what's here. Not not as some future goal, but as, as a present moment um, possibility. You seem quite, and this is a strong word, critical, though, of seeking. Someone who might say, I'm a spiritual seeker. I'm looking for something, some new teachings, some new ideas, etc. Seeking is part of the problem. Would you say that's true? <laughs> Uh, I wouldn't say seeking is the problem. Um, I guess from, from one perspective, it does seem like a problem. You know, um, sometimes that's that's how people interpret what I'm saying is, oh, Jeff, it, it sounds like 
you're just telling us to stop seeking. You know, and then well, then I say to them, well, I mean, if it was that simple, you know, if if it was just a case of stopping seeking now, I mean, we would have done it already. You know, everyone would have already done it, and we would all just be totally at peace, totally at rest. Um, so I, I don't want to, I don't want to make seeking into the enemy. I think that's that's one of the dangers here. Is you know, yeah, we talk about seeking, we talk about how. We're always looking for something outside of ourselves, looking for something in the future, and that ends that ends up taking us away from what's here. Uh, and what I would say that that's actually at the very root of our suffering is that attempt to escape what's here. So the the seeking mechanism. I mean, that's what I call it in the book. It's it's almost like a mechanism. Um, the seeking mechanism, which shows up in um, all parts of our lives, in our relationships, with addictions, with pain, we're always trying to move away from the present moment. So we don't, but we don't want to make that into the enemy. You see, we don't want to make that into the new problem. Um, really, because this message is all about the end of having enemies. It's all about deep acceptance. So we don't want to say everything in this moment is allowed except seeking. You know, we don't want to say that because then we end up making seeking we, we end up making the urge to escape this moment into into the new devil you know the new enemy um and that and this is what i talk about this in the book as well that that leads us to actually more suffering um because then we end up feeling well god you know there's something wrong with me for seeking there's something wrong with me for trying to escape this moment so how do you suggest people relate to that part of them? I mean, I'm imagining someone who's listening to Insights at the Edge. And, you know, I've heard from people who have listened to 150 podcasts in this series. And you could say to them, well, they must be seeking something. They keep listening. They're listening for something. How do we relate to that part of us that does seem to be seeking, seeking for some new insights, new ideas, new teachings? Well, it's it's all about... <laughs> honoring it you know i really that's what i talk about is just this total honoring of whatever is arising in our present experience whatever wave is arising in the ocean that we are i think i was saying in the last podcast how you know really who we are is it's not who we think we are who we who we are is you could say this vast ocean this vast oceanic space call it consciousness awareness presence it doesn't really matter which word you use. You know, who you are is, is this vast ocean in which waves are always arising and dissolving, you know, rising and falling away. Uh, thought waves, sensation waves, feeling waves, even a wave of doubt or a wave of pain or a wave of you know, some kind of urge, some kind of urge to escape this moment, an urge to be free of this moment, an urge to become something in the future so this is all about honoring these waves i mean that's really the core of my message is 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 deep acceptance and and as i was saying in the last podcast um this acceptance it's actually built in this is an acceptance that is actually built into your present experience as the ocean you are already allowing, accepting all of these waves that are arising. So on the deepest level, you know, even a wave of doubt or a wave of fear or even an urge, some urge to escape this moment, on the deepest level, even that wave is not your enemy as the ocean. There is a place in you 
for that urge. There's already enough space in you. What you are is already vast enough to to hold that. Um, So I think I was saying last time, I was talking a bit about um, resistance. Um, I think that's a word people use quite a lot these days, is resistance. And, you know, we're told... um, you know, we shouldn't resist the present moment and that resistance is the cause of our suffering. And, you know, when there's sadness or when there's pain or when there's fear or, or even when there's some strange energy moving in us, some strange wave that we can't even name, you know, we're told that we, we shouldn't resist it, that we should accept it, we should allow it, we should say yes to it, but we shouldn't resist it. Um, so I've met so many people over the years now who are, you know, they're trying so desperately to not resist the present moment. And this so quickly becomes some kind of vicious circle because, you know, a wave of resistance appears in them because this is one of the waves of life. You know, all the waves of life, all the waves of the ocean are allowed in you. So a wave of resistance is something that can appear. So when you're trying to not resist, you know, what tends to happen is a wave of resistance appears in you. And suddenly you feel that it shouldn't be there. You know, this wave of resistance shouldn't be here because I should be accepting all the time. You know, this wave of resistance is wrong or it's bad or, or um, you know, we can so quickly go into our stories about ourselves, um, you know, that we failed in some way. You know, the story of ourselves is some kind of spiritual failure. You know, I should be the, the accepting one. I should be the enlightened one. I should be the perfect, you know, the perfect spiritual seeker who never resists. But actually in the moment, that wave of resistance, it just, it wants to be honored. You know, it's life struggling to move in you. It's not your enemy. It's not a sign. I mean, this is really the the core of it. This is really what I want to get across to people is if there's a, a wave arising in you, even if it's a wave of resistance, you know, even if it's like a wave, you know, a, a yucky wave, you know, a... a a wave that you just don't want to be there, that you've been told shouldn't be there. And really what I want to get across to people is that wave is not your enemy. As the ocean, that wave, it's, it's part of you. It belongs in you. I mean, it's, in a sense, it's one of your children. As consciousness, you have many children. You know, and a wave of resistance is one of your children. A wave of fear is one of your children. A thought is one of your children. And no matter how intense or uncomfortable these children feel in this moment, they are your children. And as your children, they long to be embraced. You know, they long to be loved. They long, they long for your attention. I mean, I think it's a, it's a beautiful way of talking about it, you know, seeing thoughts, sensations, feelings as your children. So the invitation is always to remember, you know, really remember your children, you know, so for me, and this goes back to your first question, actually, awakening, it's got nothing to do with awakening from your children, I think that's how we've, we've tended to see it in the past, you know, that's what, I I know that's how I used to think of awakening was, you know, I used to think awakening was all about escaping thoughts, sensations, feelings, escaping pain, escaping sadness, escaping urges, escaping desires, escaping these waves. I used to think awakening was all about, you know, moving away from the waves and towards the ocean. 
but uh, as I was saying in my last podcast with you, um, you know, through my my experiences with my depression, and um, eventually what I came to see was actually awakening. In a way, it's the opposite. It's not about escaping the waves. It's recognizing yourself as the ocean, which is the home for these waves. You are the home for all of these little waves of life, or all of your children. So this this really turns the whole um, search on its head. I mean, we um, we're talking about seeking. Um, so what I would say is what what we're really looking for. You know, we say that we're looking for love, we're looking for wealth, we're looking for success, we're looking for enlightenment, we're looking for some final state, you know, of, of consciousness, some final enlightenment in the future. What I would say um, is what we're truly looking for, actually, underneath all of that, is is home. Is home. We're all trying to come home. So that that's why you know I, I don't want to criticize seeking. Um, it's really the search for home. I mean, how can you criticize anyone for looking for home? But so what I'm really saying though is that the search for home outside of this moment it's it's there's a kind of futility to it. It's, it's ultimately futile. It's not wrong. You know, this isn't a criticism or a judgment, but it's, it's not going to give you what you truly long for, which is this deep, unconditional embrace of this moment, which is the end of seeking. So the, the end of seeking actually is this moment. However um, far out that sounds, however, however um, paradoxical that sounds, what we're actually seeking is this moment. And the funny thing about that is that we're already here. So we're already here. We've always been here. And yet we've always been looking for home outside of here. And in the end, we come to discover that we were always home. You know, that our present experience is home. That actually we are the home that we were always looking for. You are the home for thoughts. Thoughts have a home in you. Sensations have a home in you. Feelings, all kinds of feelings. Feelings that we call positive and feelings that we call negative. They, they have a home in you. So it's, it's funny because in the beginning we were looking for home. We, we said to ourselves, one day I will be home. I will come home. And you know, this invitation, the invitation of, of my book, and, and, um, and this is the invitation I, I, I offer people, is to really turn the whole thing on its head and just begin to um, remember your true home, which is here and now. You, you offer home to thoughts. You, you offer rest. You offer space. You offer stillness to all of your children. You know, even if one of your children, to come back to your question, even if one of your children is some strange you know, urge or some uncomfortable feeling, um, even that has a home in you. Even that has a home in you. Now, I want to talk, Jeff, about radical awakening in ordinary life in a context that I think is probably familiar to most people. And a section of your book deals with addictions. And you also mentioned that, yes, we can even awaken in the midst of 
one of our addictions. And so let's talk about that. Somebody, they could be addicted to any kind of substance. Maybe it's emotional eating or smoking mm. or, you know, we, we were talking about seeking and you talk about mm. how seeking can be an addiction. When we feel ourselves having, oh, I know I'm in my addiction right now. I know it. I know it. What do you suggest? How do I awaken in that moment? Well, I mean, as I say in the, in the book, um, in a sense, we are, we're all addicts. You know, whether, we, whether we are diagnosed with addiction or not, whether we call ourselves addicts or not, in a sense, you know, every human being is, is an addict. You know, we're, we're all addicted on some level, um, to some extent, um, to escaping this moment, you know, to running away from this moment, to not feeling what we feel, to, to not allowing all of life to move in us. You know, so on some level, we're all addicts. You know, whether, we're, whether we use food um, you know, to try and escape discomfort or whether we use cigarettes or alcohol or sex or, I mean, a- anything, meditation. I think I used to be, in a, in a way, I think I used to be addicted to meditation. You know, Any time I ever felt anything remotely uncomfortable, I would try and, I would sit down and meditate and try to escape it, try to, get into some different state you know um so we we can we can even use spirituality to escape um so in, in a sense um you know that seeking and addiction always go together i'd say really they're, they're two words for the same thing um you know the attempt to escape this moment the attempt to run away from this moment um so really, uh, everything I say, you know, it's it's again, it's all about um, turning this on its head and turning attention back to this moment. Um, so even if what's arising in this moment is a very uncomfortable wave, um, I was talking to someone a couple of years ago and they were they were on one of my retreats and they were um uh they were trying to get rid of their smoking addiction and um i remember saying to this guy i remember telling him um he was asking me what what could he do and i i I said well stop stop you know stop putting the cigarettes in your mouth and so of course what happened was he you know he tried this of course and so he was sitting there, you know, on, on the retreat, and these in, incredibly intense waves of discomfort started to arise in him. And, and previously, he would have, you know, tried to escape that discomfort by reaching for a cigarette, because that, that's really the seeking mechanism. You know, that's really the seeking mechanism: is we feel some kind of discomfort, some wave of um, fear or sadness or pain, or so, again, even some strange energy in ourselves that we can't even name it just feels uncomfortable it feels like it shouldn't be there it feels like some kind of threat you know so um and we're so conditioned we're so conditioned you know as 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 we grow up we're conditioned to judge these waves and label these waves and we call we call these waves negative waves or bad waves or sinful waves or even um evil waves you know if we've had maybe religious conditioning we might label some of these waves in ourselves evil so 
really what we're saying is these waves should not be here. So, you know, a, a huge wave of discomfort appears and we, we seek release. We seek release. And so we reach out to the, the cigarette um, or, or the alcohol or the, or, or the sex or, or whatever it is to provide some kind of release, some kind of, some kind of relief. And it, see, this is the thing. I mean, it seems to work. It seems to work. You know, when, when you're inhaling deeply you know, that cigarette for a few blissful moments or minutes, all of your problems seem to disappear. It, it feels like what it, what it ends up feeling like is actually the cigarette gave you that. The cigarette gave you what you really long for. So this is the beginning of the, of the illusion, the seeking illusion, I, I call it. So it, it looks like the cigarette has some kind of power over you. It looks like the cigarette has some kind of power to give you what you long for, to give you oneness, to give you wholeness. It looks like the cigarette has the power to remove your problems. But this is the same this is actually the same thing we do with spiritual gurus. It's really the same mechanism. It's really the same mechanism. You know, people talk about being in the presence of their of their spiritual guru and you know they, they travel they're in a lot of pain, a lot of fear, a lot of discomfort. They travel to India and they sit at the guru's feet. And for a few blissful minutes, hours, days maybe, all their problems disappear. Um, and there's just relief and there's release. And it, it looks as though you know, the guru had the power to do that. It looks like this came from outside of myself. This completeness came from outside of me. This, this object or this person uh, contains the completeness that I long for. Um, and that's, of course, what it seems like. But you know, as long as you're looking for completeness outside of yourself, you're never, ever going to be satisfied. So the cigarette doesn't truly give you what you long for. It seems to for a brief period of time. It looks like your seeking is at an end. But then, of course, what happens is that you know, the high wears off. Whether it's the high from your, from your cigarette, from your alcohol, from the sex, from the chocolate, or from your guru, actually. The high, the high wears off. And the, the discomfort reappears, the pain reappears, because it was never really addressed, it was never really met. And so we, we, it's really an incredible illusion that we fall into, that anything outside of ourselves can provide us with that deep acceptance, because really, that's what we're looking for. Now, Jeff, it seems like a real key here, then, is being able to learn to be with discomfort. And, mm-hmm. you know, that's not easy for people. No, it's not supposed to be easy. I mean, it's we're not taught. I mean, we we have to give ourselves a bit of a break here. You know, we're, no one's really taught. We're not taught how to be with our discomfort because you're absolutely right. That is that's the that's the key. That's the key to everything. It, it, you know, the freedom that we long for, the peace that we long for, the love actually that we long for. Um. We're not actually ever going to find it outside of ourselves. It's not going to come through the cigarette or even through the, the external guru. What we're really seeking and longing for is, um, I mean, again, it's become quite a cliche, but I think that it's so true. We're seeking the love that we are. We're seeking the peace that we, that we are. We're seeking the acceptance that, that we are. Um, if you say that we haven't really been taught or trained, mm. educated to be with our discomfort, help mm-hmm. me. What would be the kind of training or teaching? How can you teach me how to do this difficult thing? 
Well, that that is the core question. That that's the question. Um, well, so I was saying before about we're talking a bit about um, resistance. You know, so where um, you know a lot of these spiritual teachings talk about resistance and that we're resisting the moment. And I think I said this in the last podcast as well. It's it's probably more true to say it's not that we're resisting this moment. No one is actively resisting their discomfort. It's probably more true to say that we we just don't know how to to sit with our discomfort. We don't know how to be with our discomfort. We don't know how to be with our pain. We don't know how to be with our sadness. And and it's it's understandable, you know, like oh, I just fit speaking from my own experience, you know, when I was a child and and I felt sad and I expressed that sadness in some way, you know, someone, my mother, my father, you know, a teacher, they would try to make me happy to get rid of the sadness for me. They they would try and uh, change my experience. And, and this, this was a loving thing. You know, I'm, I, I can't blame anyone for this. This was an expression of love. Or, or when I was in pain. You know, I remember when I was a, a child and, you know, whenever I was in, in pain, physical pain, and I would go and tell my, my mother. And she would, uh, you know, she would, she would try and take the pain away. You know, again, out of love and, and sometimes she would even get quite stressed and um, upset to see me in pain so I guess what I started to learn uh, in many different ways was actually I'm not okay in my pain it's like m- mother can't sit with me when I'm in pain mother can't just sit with me she's trying to change me and this is not a judgement about my mother I, kn- I know she loves me and, sh- and she always did and it was an expression of love but this is you know this is what we as children we start to learn you know father can't sit with me when i'm sad when i'm angry father is not able to sit with me when i'm when i feel doubt when i feel when i feel confused teacher doesn't maybe they don't know how maybe they never learn they don't know how just to be with me to sit with me to hold my hand you know, in the midst of that experience and to not try and change me. Maybe that's what, maybe I never really wanted to be changed, you see. And maybe none of us do. Maybe all I was actually, every, maybe all I was actually ever uh, longing for was just for someone to be with me. So I never learned that. I, I never, um, I never learned that, you know, that it was actually okay to be with sadness to be with pain to be with discomfort so you know when i meet people these days um you know my retreats and, and meetings um and in, in my private sessions um i always say to them well that that's a really beautiful place to start just to begin to admit <laughs> to just to begin to admit that you don't know how to be with sadness your whole life you've been struggling to work out how you've been struggling to find answers you've been struggling to escape sadness you've been trying to find all kinds of solutions and you've been trying to work it all out intellectually how can i be with sadness and no one's ever worked it out because maybe it's not a question of how you see maybe it's not a question of how so that can be a very beautiful place to just just begin and really we're we're all beginners (laughs) when it comes to this we're all beginners when it comes to this you know just to admit in this moment i don't know how to be with this discomfort i don't know how 
to be with this sadness. I don't know how to be with this pain. You know, that can provide so much relief in itself. You know, I, I always used to, I always used to think that I, I need to, needed to know how to be with pain. And then I would always beat myself up you know, for not knowing how. Especially when I, you know, when I was trying to be the enlightened person, I, I would beat myself up for not knowing how to be with pain. So it can be such a relief just to be- begin to admit, actually, that, that you don't know how to be with this. Now, Jeff, what do you think of the idea, you know, many meditation teachers will direct people to pay attention at the sensation level, at the physical level, and that that's mm. the way we can learn to deal with our discomfort, is to get out of our stories and our thoughts and go to the sensation level. What do you think of that? Yeah, I mean, that, that's what it's all about, really. Um, we, we come closer. Uh, that's how I like, I like to talk about it. Life always invites us just to come closer, 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 closer. Uh, life invites you to stay, stay with it. Life just says, stay with me, stay with me, stay with me. Even if in this moment you don't know how to stay with me, then stay, stay with that because I'm there as well. I'm, I'm there even in that feeling in this moment that you don't know how to stay. I'm there. So stay, stay with that. Um, so it's totally an invitation to come out of our stories, as you say, come out of our, our epic Stories. I, I like to talk about them as epic stories. Um, life in the moment is always vastly simpler um, than thought makes it out to be. So, for example, you know, I, I talk to a lot of people who are who are in pain, in, in, in physical pain. I, I used to um, volunteer in a in a hospice, um, and there were some people there who were in a lot of pain. And sometimes I talk to people in my you know, my Skype sessions or. or one to one in person sessions, and they 're trying to bring some acceptance to physical pain. I think that's physical pain can be one of the hardest one of those hardest waves, one of those most difficult waves to bring acceptance to um, so my my invitation to begin with is to come out of your story of pain you, you know your identity as uh, the victim of pain um to come back to the, as you said, the actual sensations in the body. What's actually here? Let's let's for a moment drop our story, drop our assumptions. Let's let's for a moment even drop the word pain because that, these words are very um, loaded words. And they're very heavy. These words. The word pain carries so much, carries so much. You know. So even even when we call this pain. You know, we, 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 we look to the sensations in the, in the body and we call it pain or we call it discomfort or we call it fear. Already we, we've added a layer that doesn't need to be there. We've already, we've already begun the journey away from our present experience. Even to begin to call this something. You know, I mean, that's what we're doing all the time. We're always labeling our present experience. We label this fear, we label this sadness, we label this doubt. And it's like we're using these words that we've learned. Actually, they're, they're not even our words. These are someone else's words. These are your parents' words. These are your teacher's words. These are not first-hand words. You, you, these words didn't come 
directly from your present experience. These words were given to you. So my invitation is always to just return to actual first-hand, real-time experience. So let's for a moment drop the word pain or the word doubt or the word sadness and let's become curious about what is actually here, about this, this mystery that we are. We, we don't even know that it's pain yet. We don't even know that it's pain. What is it? It's whatever's here, it's, it's alive. You know, sensation, it may be intense, it may be uncomfortable, but it's, it's alive, it's moving, it's, um, you know, even to call it pain some kind, somehow makes it into some kind of fixed thing. You know, it's giving it a label, giving it a word makes it fixed somehow. And actually when we return to our present experience, we find it's, it's a living thing. It's changing, it's moving moment to moment. It's never the same from one moment to the next. It's a dance. It's like a dance. So sensation is like a dance. When you tell the story of pain or I'm in pain or this is pain, I've got pain in my leg, it makes it sound like it's it's like a lump. It's fixed. Um, Like it's, it's there and it's separate from you. It always has that quality. Calling it something makes it sound as though it's separate from you. So this is the invitation to to begin to realize that beyond the word pain, this this dancing alive, ever-changing, moment-by-moment sensation, it's... um, These are the waves. We come back to the waves. These are waves. Waves of life. Waves of consciousness arising and dissolving in you. So pain actually what we call pain, when we come back to the sensation, there are waves of sensation arising and dissolving in you. Pain arises and dissolves in you. So you can't really say pain is happening to you. This is what I talk about in the book. I try and pull apart our experience of pain. You know, we say pain is happening to me. But actually when we begin to return to our present experience, we find all we can really find, and this is really all I'm interested in is what, what can I actually find in this moment? What can I actually find when I take a fresh look in this moment? What I find is sensation appearing in what I am. So then I, I begin to know myself, I begin to recognize myself as who I truly am, as the, the capacity, this space, this ever-present, wide-open space that is actually allowing the pain, it's holding the pain in this moment. What I am is the capacity for pain. And that totally takes me out of my story of myself as the victim of pain. Because in the story, we have a past and a future of pain, you see. And actually, all we're ever truly facing is a moment of pain. I mean, that's a really beautiful way to say it, you know. All we're ever actually facing is a moment of pain. It's never bigger than that. It's never actually bigger than that. Now, it can seem much bigger than that when we go into thought, the thought story, because the thought story is always about past and future. So then we end up moving from an instant, a moment of pain, a moment of sensation, sensation which is allowed to move in us, we move from that to a past and future of pain. And that's, that's huge. We move from the simplicity of this moment to the story 
of ourselves. The and I call it the epic story, because because now you're in a past and future. Now now you're talking about a long history of pain. You're talking about last week's pain. You're talking about yesterday's pain, and now you you begin to talk about tomorrow's pain and next week's pain. And thought is so creative. You know, it can even push it to you know a lifetime of pain. So we, that's and that's incredible, really, is that we can move from a moment of pain, which is really all we're ever experiencing in our direct experience. We move from a moment of pain to a lifetime of pain, to a history of pain, to a lifetime of pain. You know, in in quicker than a moment, really, in, in thought. Thought spins that story, and that's the beginning of suffering. I would say I think that's the, the difference between pain, present moment pain, and suffering, which is our story about pain, because that's that's what becomes so heavy. That's what becomes so impossible to to handle is yesterday's pain and tomorrow's pain and next week's pain. So we're so then you know we're, we're sitting here trying to handle tomorrow's pain, trying to handle next week's pain trying to control a lifetime of pain that's huge that's that's what becomes so exhausting and so depressing you know, literally depressing that story your epic story of pain you know um your identity as the victim of pain you know that that's the epic story i'm the victim of pain struggling to overcome pain i'm i'm the victim of pain at war with pain being being attacked by pain it's a lifelong fight against pain actually that's um that you never experience that directly i'm really you know if we if we're truly interested in well if we're interested in truth if we're interested in the truth of this moment then we have to be interested in what's actually here so we come out of the epic story of my my fight against pain my 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 battle with pain yesterday's pain tomorrow's pain a lifetime of pain and we return to present experience and begin begin to notice to acknowledge to honor what's actually here and to remember ourselves as the capacity the present moment capacity for pain the ocean the vast ocean in which this wave this present moment wave of pain is being allowed so that that's a huge shift in identity from the victim of pain you know, me and my pain the story in time to this present moment awareness which is actually who who i really am You're listening to Insights at the Edge, produced by Sounds True. Sounds True hosts an annual wake-up festival, a five-day experience of transformation, held in August of each year in the beautiful Rocky Mountains. This is a gathering of spiritual teachers, artists, poets, and anyone interested in the many faces of awakening. For more information about the Wake Up Festival, please visit soundstrue.com forward slash wake up. And now back to Insights at the Edge.
Now, Jeff, you make a very interesting point in the book that there's no such thing as unbearable pain. Mm. And I was thinking about this. I was thinking, could I reflect on any situation in my life where I felt unbearable pain? And I was thinking of a situation not that long ago where I was on this special diet. And on this special diet, I wasn't able to have a nice, warm, caffeinated, sweet beverage that I really enjoy. And I was driving on the highway, and I was starting to feel I'm going to pull off the highway and get this beverage. And so here it was, and it, the desire to do it, but knowing that I was, it reached a point where I thought, oh my God, this is unbearable. Do you know? Mm-hmm. So here we have the person who's reaching for the cigarette or reaching for whatever substance that, and they're reaching a point where they do, you, there's this felt sense that this is unbearable. Uh-huh. I can't take it. But uh-huh. yet it's clearly not unbearable because we bear it. But anyway, what, tell me what you think about that moment where you think you're hitting unbearable pain. And maybe people think that's a ridiculous example. And in a way, it is a ridiculous example. It's just an example from my own recent life story. Well, actually, I don't, I don't think it's a ridiculous example. I mean, the mind is, is infinitely creative, you know, and, and we, we can suffer over anything. You know, I'm, I mean, that, 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 that was my special skill for most of my life was being able to make myself suffer over absolutely anything, the tiniest, tiniest thing. And life would become unbearable. You know, so that this isn't, um, you know, we, 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 we could laugh about it and say, oh, it's just, it's just you know, um, this desperate urge for, for, for a drink, you know. Um, but really, this is the mechanics of suffering we're talking about. You know, this, this is what thought does. This is what it does. Um, and it, you know, it latches onto anything. It will do it over a drink. It will, it will do it over, over a broken fingernail. Or it, or it can do it over someone you love dying. But the mechanism is always the same. And th- this is really what I talk about in the book. It's, it's um, Ultimately, we can't control broken fingernails and we can't control those we love dying as much as we would love to, as much as we would love to. Um, but you see, the, the mechanism of suffering, whether it's suffering over you know, uh, an un- unobtainable drink or it's suffering over um, a diagnosis you know, of, of cancer or something... The mechanism of suffering is always the same. The mechanism of suffering is always the same. It's the attempt to escape this moment, the urge to escape this moment, trying to escape this moment. Um, so yeah, sometimes it can feel unbearable, you know. Um, and, and also from my own experience, I've—I mean, many times in my life, uh, the present moment has felt totally unbearable. You know, like that's it. It's over. I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna die. I can't take it anymore. It feels overwhelming. You know, I'm I'm gonna be crushed by this. This is gonna destroy me. Right, I'm I'm about to die. I mean that that's the point where it can take you. That's the point where life can take you. You feel as though you are about to die. You are you you are certain in the moment. You're absolutely certain it's over. You know, that's let's let's not pretend. Sometimes the waves of life can be incredibly intense um so this is the thing so that the story would be um this is overwhelming this is this is overwhelming uh in reality in reality present experience can never be truly overwhelming if um precisely because because who you are as the ocean who you are as the ocean is 
allowing these waves, no matter how intense the waves are, no matter how overwhelming they feel, and they can feel overwhelming, no matter how overwhelming they feel, in the moment, who you are as the ocean is not overwhelmed by those waves. It's holding those waves. It's allowing those waves. So if if the moment ever truly became overwhelming, if, if, if it ever truly reached the point where it was overwhelming, you would not be there to know it. You know, there's, there's, a, there's an infinite intelligence here at work. You know, the, the, body, the body is so intelligent. If it ever became truly overwhelming, you would, you would go unconscious. You'd pass out. That's how it works. So prior to that point, it may feel totally overwhelming, but it's not overwhelming because who you are as consciousness is supporting it, is allowing it, however intense it is, or painful it is, or uncomfortable it is. Who you are in the moment is not yet overwhelmed, and that's. I mean, it's a, and it's a great um, uh, comfort in a way. It's a great comfort to begin to realize that that a wave can feel overwhelming. You know, and uh, you know, I used to experience a lot of fear in my life. You know, waves of terror, waves of pure terror, um, and in the moment they would feel. That they, these, this wave is about to crush me. This wave is about to destroy me. Um, but actually, in the moment, I realize now that who I am, which is who I was, who I was, who I am, which never really changes. Who, who you are is who you are. As the ocean, you are always that. So who you are as the ocean is supporting this wave. It's allowing this wave. It's, it's said yes to this wave. So you could never reach the point where life is truly overwhelming. You can never reach the point where it's truly overwhelming. So that's, um, I mean, it's a real comfort and it's, it's a real relief actually to realize that. So then I think that takes, that takes the real fear out of life, you know, that you're never, this is what I say sometimes is that you're never going to find a wave in present experience. You're never going to find a wave in present experience that on some level hasn't been allowed by the ocean that you are. You're never going to meet a wave that is not allowed in you. You're never going to meet a thought, sensation, sound, feeling that is not allowed in you. And that, that's, that's huge, you know. That's huge. To begin to, begin to understand that, to begin to discover that, to begin to, um, to just sit with that, you know, to just sit with that and start to notice that these thoughts, sensations, feelings arising in us—they—they—they they, um, they are all allowed to be here. They're all allowed to be, and really, we're not—we're not taught that. You know, what we're taught is that we, we're somehow split beings. That um, that there are some waves we should feel, and other waves that we shouldn't feel. You know, there's some thoughts we should have, other thoughts we shouldn't have. Some feelings are okay. Some feelings are not okay. Some feelings are spiritual. Some feelings are unspiritual. Some feelings are holy. Some feelings are, are evil. And uh, we, we begin to realize that actually we're not split in this way. As the ocean, you are the capacity for all of life. All of life has a home in you. The good and the bad. The light and the dark. You know, We always used to see spirituality as... as um, a fight against the dark. Fight the dark and reach the light. 
and, and this really turns the whole thing around. What this is saying is you are, you are the light. And these waves in you, just to mix metaphors, the ocean and the waves, the light and the dark, but um, that these waves appearing in you, even a wave of pain or a wave of fear, it's not inherently dark. It just, maybe it was just never allowed to come into the light, the light that you are. Maybe you never allowed it. Maybe you, you had forgotten who you were, so you weren't allowing these poor little waves, a wave of doubt, a wave of fear, a wave of pain. Um, maybe you weren't allowing them to express themselves in you, so they seemed dark. They seemed dark, but only because they were being pushed out of the light that you are into the darkness. So this is really an invitation to finally begin and to allow these, these poor little... <laughs> These poor little unloved, see, they're not really dark, they're unloved. These poor little unloved waves to begin to come into the light, to find, to find their home in us. Even if that wave is, you know, even if it's a wave of, you know, you're sitting in the car and there's, you know, there's, there's all, all this discomfort coming up. And then there's, there's this thought coming up that, well, you know, if, if I were to have the coffee or, or the cigarette, or whatever it is, you know, the, the sex, the chocolate, whatever it is, you know, if I were to have that, this would go away. So we, we start to realize actually that it's all about trying to make this go away. It's not about the cigarette. It's not about the coffee. It's not about the, the spiritual guru, really. It's all about trying to push away our children. So the invitation is to stop stop pushing your children away because it's never going to give you what you long for you do that's not what you truly long for is to push away your children because that's where it all begins it's where it all begins you long you actually long for your children you long for your children you have a great quote in the book jeff that i'd love to hear you comment on and the quote is real spirituality is the end of denial Mm. it's all about telling the truth um, so what does that mean you know, what does it mean to tell the truth um, what does it mean to tell the truth uh, so what, what I would say is that truth is not it's not a concept it's not something that you learn it's not something that you, you find in books. It's not a, um, something that you reach through, through logic. I mean, that is a kind of truth. Uh, it's a valid truth, but it's not the kind of truth that I'm talking about. It's not the kind of truth that you really long for. Uh, what I would say truth really is, it's the truth of this moment. So what is the truth of this moment? What is the truth of this moment? So that, that kind of truth, it's a living truth. That's the kind of truth that we're really looking for, a living truth vibrantly alive ever-changing truth um, so it's the it's the truth of this moment so then we begin to look at this moment what is actually here what's the truth what's the living truth what do we actually find in this moment what's what's living here so we find thoughts coming and going we find sensations dancing we find all kinds of feelings coming and going. We find 
the sounds of this moment, like the sound of rain falling, the sound of breathing, you know, the sound of um, an air conditioning unit. So this this moment is it's rich with truth. It's full of truth, not the kind of truth that the mind is necessarily interested in. Um, but this is the kind of truth that that you long for. So then, it's all about admitting the truth. And I, I love this word, um, admit. I think I, I say this in the book as well. This is a lovely word to, to admit, because I think this word it gets right to the core of it. Admit. Admit the truth. Um, so the, the word has two meanings. You know, to admit. One meaning is um, to, as I said, to tell the truth. If you admit, you, you, t- you tell the truth. But the second meaning of admit is to allow in. If something is admitted, you know, like when you, um, maybe in the olden days, uh, maybe before I was born, you used to, you got a ticket when you went to the movie theater, you got, you got a ticket and it said admit one. So if you, if you have the ticket, you are admitted, you are allowed in. So admit also means allow in. So this is, um, this is the key. Um, and I, what I would say, this is what, this is what meditation is really all about. Meditation is not about trying to get into some state or trying to, um, become something. Meditation isn't really about seeking. Meditation is actually about the end of seeking. True meditation is, it's about this admitting in both senses. True meditation is admitting in both senses. So it's, it's telling the truth. So it's beginning to notice the truth of this moment. Noticing thoughts coming and going, noticing sensations dancing, noticing feelings, not trying to change them, not trying to manipulate them, not trying actually to become anything, not even analyzing what's here. It's noticing, admitting, telling the truth about what is already here. And then, and this is the beauty of it, in admitting in admitting the truth of this moment, in admitting the truth of these thoughts, these sensations, this discomfort, in turning our attention, in acknowledging this wave, this wave of discomfort or this wave of joy, in admitting that wave, in telling the truth about it, in admitting it, what we're also doing in that moment is admitting that that wave is already admitted. We're, we're admitting what is already here. We're admitting what has already been admitted into us. And that's, what, that's why meditation really, it's, it's so powerful. Meditation in the, in the sense that I'm talking about it, this, this present moment noticing um, it's, I mean, this is the thing. This kind of meditation to, to the mind is not particularly interesting. The mind goes, well, so what? You know, so what? This moment isn't particularly interesting. It's, you know, sitting on this chair, breathing. It's not particularly interesting. The mind wants, it wants something. It, it, it feels there's, some, there's something missing here. Lack. I talk a lot in the book about lack, how really all of our seeking is based on a sense of lack. And trying to fill that lack with, with, with substances, with achievements, with, with money, with, with spiritual experiences. And, but really, you know, that lack can never be filled by stuff. 
because really what that lack is inviting us to is this this deeper acceptance of this moment um, so in just beginning to you know, turn our attention towards what's here um, which isn't very interesting for the mind but actually it's it's a miracle you know the, the mind can't see it maybe because it's too busy trying to find something um, actually just just noticing this present moment noticing thoughts sensations feelings you're noticing something incredible you're noticing something huge something vast um, you're noticing that this thought or this sensation or this feeling you're noticing that it's here but also that it's already been admitted it's it's allowed to be here and that's huge you're discovering deep acceptance. Noticing a thought is noticing that that thought is already allowed to be here. Noticing a feeling is noticing. It's acknowledging that that feeling is already allowed to be here. And that's huge. That's not nothing. That's, that's everything. That's huge. Now, Jeff, one of the interesting parts of hosting this interview series and being the publisher at Sounds True is that I get to spend time with people like you and you and I have gotten cozy with each other. I feel very open and friendly with you and really actually consider you a friend. And we were joking before this conversation started that a mock title for your work on the deepest acceptance would be the deepest deflation <laughs> and we were joking about this title because I was saying how you have this incredible effect often on listeners and in people in the audience in that you deflate their ideas about spiritual accomplishment and spiritual achievement and how just incredibly fabulous and wonderful the enlightened me is going to be. And I wonder, as a, a note just to end on, if you could speak a little bit about our mock work together, The Deepest Deflation. <laughs> the Deepest Deflation. Well, yeah, you see, um, we're always looking for, you know, the the next high. You know, it's, that's, that's kind of, it's kind of an addiction. You know, as I said, we can, we can be addicted to spiritual stuff as much as we can be addicted to alcohol or, or drugs or, or, or chocolate. You know, um, we can so easily become addicted to the, the next spiritual high. You know, and we we start seeking that the next big experience. We we want the excitement. We want the fireworks. We want the big enlightenment. And and you start to see actually, it's all for me. It's all about me. It's about me and my experiences. Me and my enlightenment. Me and my my high. And I mean, this was my experience years ago. You know, I I had all of those experiences. I I had the big spiritual highs. You know all the, you know you have you you meditate for hours or you or you sit there in choiceless awareness or and suddenly there's the fire you have the fireworks you have the big uh, the big experience of bliss this in, intense bliss and the and the and the and you feel as though it's never going to end you know you think you've reached the pinnacle of spiritual evolution and you're never going to suffer again and and um, and maybe it lasts for. A few hours, a few days, a few weeks, maybe, maybe. And this is wonderful. This is part of life. This is part of life. But 
it doesn't provide what we really long for. All the the events, the experiences, the highs, the excitement, the bliss, you know, it's they are experiences and, and they, they come and go. They come and go. And, you know, even the most intense bliss, which, which I've experienced, which I think, you know, many people who have been spiritual seekers for, for a while, they, they've, they've touched, you know, these experiences, experiences of bliss and peace and experiences of oneness and experiences of no thought. And, but these experiences pass. And on some level, we know, we know that's the nature of this reality is as the Buddhists have always been reminding us, you know, everything's impermanent. Everything's impermanent. On some level we know it. We know that even the most, you know, orgasmic spiritual experience, you know, the the, the fizzly excitement, it it's beautiful, um, but it has to pass. And on some level we know it. And that's why I love the um yin yang symbol, you know, and the um half dark and half light and, and there's and there's the the dot of dark in the light and there's the dot of light in the dark and what, what that symbol to me is really saying is you know there aren't really any opposites in life the opposites um interpenetrate each other so um even in the midst of the most intense bliss on some level there's there's that there's that dot of there's that do- dark dot that dark circle on some level, you know that the opposites interpenetrate each other. Even in the midst of that intense bliss, you know you know about the passing of the bliss. You know it. You know it. Um, and so the bliss contains that. I mean, this this reality, this this seemingly dualistic reality, it's in perfect balance. You know, the bliss contains loss. It has to. It contains loss. And that's, from one perspective, that's tragic for the seeker. That's tragic. Because the seeker can't hold on to anything. The seeker can never come to rest. You know, even they, finally they find the, the final bliss and it passes. And they can't come to rest. When will the seeker come to rest? When will the seeker finally be able to hold what they were always seeking and keep it? And keep it. And, and as I said, as the Buddhists have always been telling us, that's not the nature of things. You know, the sand slips through our fingers, the water slips through our fingers, and the bliss passes. And, and the, the ultimate enlightenment experience passes. And then we, we long to have it back. We want it back. Where did, where did it go? Where did my bliss go? Where did my excitement go? Where did it go? I want to get it back. And we start looking for it again. And the cycle carries on and carries on and carries on so when will we come to rest i mean that what the seeker is really looking for is rest um but that the story the, so the story is when i finally get what i'm seeking when i finally find what i'm looking for and hold on to it and don't lose it then i can come to rest but what i would say is that isn't the kind of rest that we truly long for that isn't the kind of rest that we truly long for because it goes against the nature of experience. It goes against the nature of life. It goes against our own nature. Um, so the kind of rest we're truly looking for is the rest of the ocean. 
That's the true rest. But it's not the, it's not the kind of rest that the seeker imagined. It's not a future rest. It's not one day I will rest. You see, the, the ocean that you are, it's already at rest. It's always at rest. Even in the midst of a storm. You see, even when the waves are big, you know, violent, crashing waves, even, even when there's a storm in the ocean, the ocean itself is resting. You see that normally we think of rest as, oh, I have to get rid of, I have to get rid of the storm. I have to get rid of the, these waves. I have to get rid of this sadness or this pain or this discomfort. And then, and then there'll be rest. But that's, that's a conditional rest. That's not the kind of rest we really long for. What we long for is this unconditional rest of the ocean. And the reason the ocean is at rest, it's not because it managed to get rid of the waves. It's not because it deleted the waves. It's not because it went to war with the waves and won. It's not because it managed to control the waves. It's not because it managed to get the waves that it wanted and keep them. The true rest of the ocean is that, is that knowing. It's that knowing that these waves are allowed in me in this moment. These waves are allowed in me. They are deeply allowed in me. No matter what the waves are doing, whether they're soft, gentle waves or strong, you know, big, strong waves, whether they're waves of joy, waves of bliss, or whether that bliss disappears and there's a wave of sadness or there's a wave of doubt. All these waves are beloved. All these waves are your children as the ocean. So that That's the true rest. That's the true rest that we really long for. And it's not dramatic you know it's i'm not talking about the fireworks the fireworks come and go uh, and there's so many people i've met over the years you know and and again this was my experience as well you know they 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 go out and they, they have the the spiritual fireworks and they they go and visit teachers and they get the the shakti and the you know the big energy big movements of energy and then but they they think that's it that this is what i've been looking for but then the nature of these waves is that they they pass they 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 want to pass they long to pass they're alive this is a living thing we're dealing with so then people get so um disillusioned and then they suffer so much because they had the bliss they had the excitement and they thought it was going to last forever and then it passed and then they, they kind of, there was some kind of mourning, you know, they, they grieved over the loss of their bliss. And then they try to get the bliss back and, and it, beca- <laughs> it becomes so exhausting, I think. You know, it becomes so exhausting, this attempt to manipulate our experience, this attempt to hold on to the waves, you know, to hold on to a wave of bliss, to hold on to a wave of excitement to hold on to something that naturally wants to pass or you know to try and push away a wave to push away a wave of sadness a wave of sadness to push away a wave of pain a wave that naturally wants to be here and that will naturally pass so we we just it's so exhausting you know just going to war with the natural um flow of things these these waves it's the most natural thing in the world that these waves arise and it's the most natural thing in the world that these waves fall a wave of joy or a wave of doubt you know a wave of excitement that's allowed in you but a wave of boredom that's also one of your children 
That, that isn't a particularly popular <laughs> popular wave. It's not one of your popular children. But it is your child and it's beloved to you on some deep level. Maybe maybe you forgot. Maybe you knew it long ago. It's, you know, maybe, maybe you knew it long ago. These are your children. Maybe you've just forgotten. Um, so that's the kind of rest, you see, that we really long for. So it, it is, um, in a sense, it's a, it's a kind of deflation. It's it's you know it's the deflation of the of the ego, it's the deflation of the seeker. Um, but it's also deep rest. It's deep rest and it's deep peace and it's it's the love. It's the kind of love that we were always longing for. The the love of ourselves. You know the love of every thought. The love of every sensation. The love of the excitement. Of course, of course but also the love of the passing of excitement. You deliver it, Jeff. The deepest <laughs> deflation. The deepest acceptance is the new book by Jeff Foster from Sounds True, Radical Awakening in Ordinary Life. And in addition to these ideas being presented in a book form, Jeff has also recorded with Sounds True a six-session audio learning series on the deepest acceptance. Radical Awakening in Ordinary Life. And it's true, Jeff, becoming friends with you has been one of the great delights of my position here at Sounds True. So thank you. Thank you for that open-heartedness. Thank you so much, Tommy. Thank you. Thank you. SoundsTrue.com. Many voices, one journey. Thanks for listening.